Today's episode of Speak LA, the podcast is sponsored by Actors Connection. Before we begin, one of the things we most often hear from you guys is how hard it is to find an agent. If this is something that you are struggling with, go to ispeakla.com and download our free agent guide now. There's absolutely no shame in not having an agent, but we want to help you get one. So go to ispeakla.com and grab your free agent guide today. Hi, Kim. Hey, Jen. (laughs) Guys, it's good to see you. You too. How are you? I'm hanging. I'm hanging. Yeah, yeah I know. A lot happening. A lot happening in our world right now. I know. And we're on different sides of the coast. It's yes. so weird not to be with you. Tell me about LA. What's Well, for, first, let's just say I, I can't wait to talk to uh, Rebecca today. I'm so excited. Oh, Rebecca Metz. Phenomenal actress. Yeah. My kids are huge fans of Coop and Cammy Ask the World, of course. Disney show. Yeah. Disney you, mom. Do you like it because Cammy is in the name? I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. Because, you. <laughs> thanks, Jen. Mm-hmm. I had to just throw that out there. Sure. Um, I love her on Better Things, too. I know. She's, she's, she's great. Phenomenal. Very. Yeah. yeah I, I'm really, really excited to talk to her today. I am, too. But tell me about you while we wait to talk to her. Tell me what you've been doing. What have you been doing? Um, Well, I've been been going to protests here in LA. Right. Big time for that right now. Big time. Lots of protests happening um, for Black Lives Matter. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been – it's been interesting. I've been thinking a lot about um, how we were all sort of asked to go inside with this virus, you know, this, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. worldwide pandemic. And now we are asked to go outside and being called to stand with our voices for a very, very, very important cause, um, equity in our world, um, and social reform and change. So I, you know, I've been going out there and it's been, it's been incredible. It's been, um, you know, a small, something small that I can do. Um, mm-hmm more things that I'm, that we're thinking of, I know, and that I'm thinking of, but it's been, it's been nice to be able to, to sort of be in a movement with a mass amount of people, um, to, um, make sure that everybody know that knows that black lives matter. So to be walking, uh, with everyone around you, it was, it was a pretty, pretty, um, a moving experience. Um, and I'm just grateful that they, they kept happening and that we're, we're, we're going to just keep, keep going, you know? Yeah. Keep pushing, keep pushing, Amen. pushing, pushing, pushing. Um, yeah. Forever until it's changed. That's right. <laughs> until our world has I love changed. Yeah. So that's what I've been up to. How old were you when you moved to LA? 21. Where did you move from? Pittsburgh. Did you know anyone when you first came here? Yes. How much money did you have? Not much. (laughs) Where did you live when you first got to LA? Sherman Oaks. Valley. What was your first job in LA? A telemarketer. Cool. What was your, (laughs) what was your initial impression of LA? Um, uh, warm. I liked it. 
How many years of living in LA did it take before you started to feel like it was your home? I think about three. Mm-hmm. And if you had to sum up LA in one word, what would that word be? Mm, tapas. What is it? Tapas. <laughs> it requires explanation, but I'm not allowed to explain. So tapas. Oh, no. Yeah, explain. You can, you can explain <laughs> that. I want to know. Because I think it is a million different things and you have to find which of the things you want. Like there's a million little niche communities and places to live in and groups and activities and things you can get. Like LA is different for everyone because my LA is different from everybody else's LA. And so I think it's like picking and choosing which bits you want. So I think it's like top us. That is, that is a perfect <laughs> word. I love it. <laughs> I do too. And tapas taste so good. Yeah. Also, there are great tapas places here. <laughs> That's perfect. Hey, Rebecca, thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. We're so excited to have you. Yeah. I think you're our first Disney mom on the oh. show. <laughs> I can give you no, all the dirt. Oh, oh wait. We had Kim. Oh, yeah, Kim, 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 Kim. <laughs> I thought that was Nickelodeon. That's Disney, too. Wait. Oh, shoot. Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. I, I I don't know. I should know, and I don't. We should know. all know. We should really all know. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll do a little research, and, okay. <laughs> and then we'll know. Um, but anyway, if you are, if you are, if you're not our first, you're our second. First or second. Very exciting. Um, but anyway, I, I'd love to start at the beginning and just hear a little bit about your your beginning of acting, how you got interested in acting, and was there that kind of magical moment when you thought, this is what I want to do? You know, tell us what that I think the closest thing to a magical moment for me was that I was a Muppet Show watcher, like OG in the 70s Muppet mm-hmm. Show watcher. And, um, and I, I just remember watching the, you know, the backstage stuff at the theater, like all the chaos backstage that's happening in order to keep things looking like everyone knows what they're doing on stage. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Those are my people. That's where I want to hang out. Like, I really think it was the Muppets. And then also my parents um, are classically trained singers. They've always um, sung as sort of a hobby, uh, a serious hobby, but um, not what they do for a living, but so their, their chorus would do musicals and they would need kids sometimes. And so I started kind of getting on stage as a kid through my parents, you know, organization needing kids every so often. And that's kind of where I really got the bug. That's cool. Did you, um, did you pursue musical theater at all? Was that something you followed? I did. I did a lot of musical theater in high school. I, um, when I auditioned for Carnegie Mellon, I think I, I think I told them I was going to audition for musical theater and then I not exactly chickened out at the last minute, but I kind of changed my mind. Um, I love singing. I love some musicals. I hate a lot of musicals and (laughs) I, I would hate to be in a position of being in a musical that I don't like for years at a time. Like I would, I would lose my mind. I think there are just sort of different personalities, different people, um, are cut out for different like working aspects of this business and doing the same show eight times a week for years on end is not what I'm cut out for unless I really love the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You bring up a very interesting point in terms of 
what you would want your career to look like. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of young actors don't think about. And, you know, like you just said it, you know, where is the place that I want to live that's going to cater to the type of career that I want? and the, the kinds of roles that I want to be playing. For and sure, for sure. I mean, I think um, I love doing theater. I will always go back to theater. I've done theater and musical theater while I've been in LA. But um, making money, making your living at it is a different thing because you don't just get to do what you like. You also have to take jobs that are not your inspiration necessarily. And for me, I would rather spend a few weeks or a few months on a, on an on-camera project that's kind of changing every day. Um, it's just easier for me to find something to like in that than in an onstage production that I'm not really excited about. So, you know, and, and to your point, I think one of the biggest mistakes actors make early on is just being like, I want to work. I want to work anywhere. I don't care. I just want to, and you can't market yourself that way. You can't market yourself every place at once. You have to have specific goals and a specific vision in mind, even if that's not what ends up happening, just so that you can pursue it effectively and start going somewhere. Yeah. And I think it can change too, mm -hmm. which is important. I mean, I, I remember when I was at a grad school, I would have done anything to just be in a theater show over and over and over again. Yeah. And then as, you know, as I continued to live in LA, I, I, you know, one was perfect for me mm -hmm. <laughs> with the amount of time and the commitment that it took. Yeah. I think it, and it, I think it does change and you, you know, if there's anything you can say about an acting career, it's that it's not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. So you have to be able to adjust as you go and find things to love about where you end up. You know, I love Rebecca that you say that thing about um, just going back a little bit that, uh, you know, that young actors a lot of times just say, I want to work because that was such a common thing. Um, I, you know, I think I said it when I was starting out as an actor. I think everybody around me was saying that. I think it kind of felt like a noble thing on our part to say, mm -hmm. like we weren't greedy or we weren't, you know, we 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 just wanted to do something. We just wanted to work. And and yet, I think you make such a good point. And I think back to also, which we'll get into a little bit, but um, some some early on agency meetings that I had, and I mm -hmm. remember kind of seeing like agents' faces, and I didn't know at the time what was happening, but kind of cloud over when I would say that phrase. You know, I just yeah. because I think even agents feel like they need they need help knowing what direction you want to go in. For sure, and as an actor, you should you shouldn't sign with an agent unless you have the same vision for you, and if you don't know what your vision for yourself is, you can't use that as a criteria to find the right agent, you know? Sure. Um, yeah. And I actually think I'm sort of jumping ahead a little bit, but I actually think I spent a long time trying to do the thing of like, what am I right for? And trying to figure out my type and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was only when I sort of realized that I don't know what I'm right for, because the stuff that I was doing is not what I thought I would be doing that I was like, I'm just going to focus on what I love, whether I'm right for it or not. And that is when things really started happening for me. When I started focusing on um, the kinds of projects that I like as a fan, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah, that's what I'm going to say about that. We can talk about it more if you want to. I love that. Um, 
I would actually love to talk about that. <laughs> so let's talk about that more. Um, you said that so beautifully, but I, I, I do have a question, yeah. a specific question I'd like to ask, but I want to go back to something that you said, where you said, I want, I, you said, I, I focused on the things that I loved and because the things that I thought I was right for, I wasn't finding that I was right for. Can you just tell me a little bit more yeah. about what you mean by yeah, that? So like, I thought that I would come out here and do sitcoms. I mean, I came out in the late nineties. So it was kind of the heyday of multi-camera, you know, must-see TV, um, multi-cams. And I thought that's where I would end up because I've always kind of done comedy and it's, it's the most sort of theatrical, Thing you can do on camera and um, I got here and learned that that was mostly comedy like stand-up and improv people and I was going out for dramas guest roles and dramas which is not where I saw myself and what the big catalyst for this was I did a big guest role on Nip Tuck it was the biggest thing I had done at that point in my career and that is a show for anyone who doesn't know that takes place in Miami it's about plastic surgeons it's beautiful 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 people like it would have been on the very bottom of any list of shows that if someone asked me what I was right for what shows on that were on then I was right for it would have been last and I booked this role that was the biggest thing I'd done to that point and I really just sort of was like okay clearly I don't know what I'm castable in because I never would have put this on that list. So I'm going to stop worrying about that hmm. and start worrying about the kinds of projects I really enjoy. And, and with some hindsight, I can look back and say, actually, that is what I was right for because what, I've, what I have ended up getting cast in pretty consistently is stuff that is neither clearly a drama nor a comedy. I do a lot of roles on dramas where I bring some humor. Mm-hmm. I do roles on comedies where I burst into tears. Um, and, but it's, so that's kind of my type is the person that walks that line between drama and comedy, but I could never have seen that. And that's not what those, what's my type classes tell you. They tell you you're like a blue collar mom or whatever. And, mm -hmm. and I don't have a type like that. I'm all over the place mm -hmm. in that way. So, um, yeah, once once I sort of had that epiphany, like I'm not doing this right, so I'm going to stop trying. Uh, things got a lot better for me, and I got happier. That's that's really really fascinating to hear. I mean it it I it does make me think that it's not our job as actors to our job is to show up. So if, yeah. if somebody reaches out to you, like a casting director says, "Come in for this role," I think a lot of actors go through that in their head where they're like, "Well, I don't." I don't see myself in that role. And it's almost like you talk yourself out of it yeah. before you even go into the room. Yeah. Uh, um, I wanted to, to, to bring this back a, a little bit to um, when you were in school, mm -hmm. when you were training, um, you, you know, you mentioned type and, and brand, and that's a, that's a big question that many actors have. Um, did you, did you find that, um, that there was a way that you thought about how you were going to enter into this industry um, with, without thinking of that sort of LA standard. And I ask that because I have many, many students. I'm a, I'm actually a teacher mm -hmm. and I have many students that come to me and they, they talk about that struggle of not necessarily seeing themselves 
in the industry. Mm -hmm. Um, But knowing that they have something wonderful to offer Mm -hmm. to the industry and they do. Um, And I'm just curious if if that was something that you found in classes that you, you came up against um, sort of typing from professors you might've had, or if that was something that you came up against in your own mind, or if that was just something that you were like, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. I'm going for it. And, you know, if you can give me a little bit of insight to that, to your mindset, I think it'd be so helpful for people to hear. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I studied at Carnegie Mellon and I think part of the, the most valuable to me, part of that training and the biggest argument for getting formal classical training of the best quality that you can is that we all come in doing a few things. Well, you know, we all have strengths the purpose of training, one of the purposes of training, I think, is to get you past that and to get you good at things you didn't necessarily come in being good at. So like, I had to learn vulnerability. That was, it was, I came in, I was great at being like tough and smart and angry and intellectual. Um, My professors were always telling me I'm a very cerebral actor. I go right to the analysis and kind of skip the emotion. (laughs) I had to learn how to do that. And again, a huge part of what I end up doing now is being tough and smart and funny and then cracking so that you see the vulnerability. And I couldn't do that before Mm. I went through that training. Um, I think, so I think, kind of what I was talking about, about trying to figure out what my type was and what shows I was right for. That was me trying to figure out kind of where I fit in the industry and who I was most like and kind of what my archetype was. And I guess what I discovered was that for me anyway, I think what you have to do is teach the industry how to see you. Like we have to teach the industry who we are and what we do well. And, and like for me, a lot of, most of my work has come from casting relationships that I've been developing for years. People I met either right after coming out from school or, or at some point after that, who maybe didn't know how to cast me right off the bat, but over time going in again and again and again and not booking and going in for the wrong things, they kind of learned what my strengths were. I think early on, I was still learning what my strengths were or how to make the most of an audition and 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 I learned to stop going in and trying to get the audition right, trying to give them what they want and starting to go in and be like, this is what I would do with it because this is what I do. This is through my filter. You can have it, you cannot have it. It's, it's not an insult to me if this isn't what you want. There's a great casting director named John Levy who casts Shameless and ER and all of John Wells shows and he's legendary. And he um, talks to the Carnegie kids every year and he says, you know, for him, he wants to bring to producers a range of people who can do the role. So like this person leads with their intellect, this person leads with their sexuality, this person leads with their sense of humor. And then, and, and then for the producers and director, it's like choosing ingredients in a dish that they're making and you could use any one of them. It's just going to change the dish. And I think we think of it as a, a judgment on how good an actor we are, when in fact, at that point, they're all good actors. Everyone in that room could do that role and do a great job. They're just choosing flavors. And so my job is to know what flavor I am and bring that as best I can. And if they want it, they want it. And if they don't, they don't. I love that. I love what you say about that it's it's your job as an actor. It's our job as actors to show 
that, you know, casting or producers, um, you know, what it is that we do well. I love that. And we hear that a lot when we interview mm-hmm. actors. Um, and it's something I certainly did not know when I was first starting yeah. out. So I love that. Um, when we interviewed uh, Asif Mandvi recently, he talked about how he, the importance of that also, but he also talked about how hard that is to do if you're going in and saying, you know, can I get you another cup of coffee? And that's your only yeah. line. So he, his solution to that was he created a one man show, which kind of changed things for him in his career, because then he was able to, you know, say for the people that he could, you know, get to come and see his one man show. And of course, that's also a yeah. Um, but kind of like, this is what I do well. Would you, I mean, what would be sort of your advice? And I know it's, it's a hard question, but how, how, how do, how does a young actor show people what they do well? Mm-hmm. You know? I think for me, I did not create a one person show. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, for me, and I did a lot of those little, little co-stars early mm-hmm. on. Um, and I got good at booking them. And I think for me anyway, what helped was having a point of view as a character. Like, yeah, you only have one line, but you've been doing something. You've been living your whole life up until that point, And you're going to go on to do something after. So like, it's not a neutral. Do you want a cup of coffee? Mm. Are you having a bad day? Does, is this, did this person ask you for the coffee rudely? Like, are you flirting with them? Like there should right. be a point of view behind it it should serve the story you don't want to choose like i'm enraged if you're on a you know it should be relevant it should serve the tone and the vibe of the of the story and ultimately serve the person you're talking to who probably has a bigger role than you do like your job is to set up the joke and so you can make a strong choice even on one line that helps set up that joke Mm. without making too much of a meal of it it's a delicate balance but but I think about it in terms of point of view. I should always have an emotional or a, sort of approach to it or an opinion going into it about what I'm doing because that's how people are. You know, we're coming from something. We're in a mood, whatever that mood is. And that has helped um, helped me make roles like that my own and a little bit special and a little bit memorable, I think. That's a great answer. I love that. I, I, I would love to move on to the, the big question that so many uh, new actors have, um, which is, you know, surrounding agents. And mm-hmm. um, not, that, not that you need to have the answer for us about how, how young actors can get an agent, but sometimes just hearing, you know, experienced actors like yourself, just hearing your story um, yeah. is helpful. So I, I imagine you did a showcase out of Carnegie Mellon Yep. But were there, did you get an agent then or were there, are there other, did you have other agents along the way or can you tell us about sort of your um, agent track? I did. We did do a showcase. Mm-hmm. I did not get an agent out of it. Mm. I did not get an agent for um, three or four years afterwards. Wow. Try as I might. <sighs> and what ended up happening was um, it was my casting relationships. I started booking work through casting relationships. They were always also casting people at those um, showcases And I was, you know, booking little one and two line things here and there through those casting relationships. I think I got a manager first, but honestly, my early agents and managers didn't do much, couldn't do much. I shouldn't have expected them to do much because they're salespeople ultimately. 
Um, and it's not their job to get us work. It's their job to negotiate our contracts when we get work. It's my job to get work. And that's through casting relationships. So like, uh, I think I got my first agent from doing like a paid workshop, but, uh, I don't, I didn't get an agent who could really do anything for me until I started booking work on my own through casting relationships, because then I had something for an agent to pitch. Mm. I had something that an agent could do something with. So like, honestly, what I tell actors early on is stop focusing so much on getting an agent. They're not going to be able to do anything for you until you start booking work. And they go, how do I book work without an agent? An agent's not going to help you book work. Your casting relationships and your own hustling is going to help you book work. You know, we pay our agents 10% of what we earn and that 10% covers them negotiating the contract. The other 90% is us. And if you are extremely generous and say that, okay, 50% of it is the actual acting, you, you still need to be doing four times as much hustling as you expect your agent to be doing. Right. You know? Right. So I think, um, how do you get your first agent? I don't really care. It'll happen. <laughs> It'll happen when you are a person who needs an agent because you're out there auditioning and working enough that you're actually in the business. Do you know what I mean? I, I think that's a tough thing for people to hear and a tough thing to say, but the sooner we learn that an agent is not going to do that work for us and we can't just sit home and wait for the phone to ring with an opportunity, the better off we're going to be to actually start making something happen. God, I think you're so right. And I, I think it, I think it comes from, I mean, I, I think back again to when I was first starting out and I think it, it comes from two things. It comes from, as you said, like wanting somebody to kind of help you and sort of, you know, get, get you to that next level. And I think it also comes from wanting to sort of feel a sense of, you know, wanting to legitimize what you're yeah. doing. And if you can, it feels like, you know, if you can tell your family back home and you can tell your friends that you have an agent, uh, because that's kind of the only thing that people that don't yeah. know a lot about the business know is like, oh, you know, my, my cousin lives out in LA and she has an agent. <laughs> like it immediately yeah. makes you sound legit, but you're right that, you know, most agents are not really going to do much for you until you've, you've done something yourself. I, for a while was in, this was back in the days when, when breakdowns were um, not online, that was like by fax. Yep. And, um, I ended up in a fake management company. Like some people that were in the workshop circuit with me made a fake management company. We all paid a certain amount of money every month. Somebody got breakdowns wow. by saying we were a management company. Uh -huh. and we, took, we all had each other's headshots and we took turns every day saying like, email me what you want to submit for it. There was a logo. So we would like call and phone pitch each other. Wow. Um, and it, you would drop envelopes off at a messenger service. And like, because oh we just prepared waiting for someone to do it for us. And, and you know, we could, we could do what a, a manager that we could get would be doing. And like, we got called in that way. I don't know how you would do it now because some, you know, it's an online, it's a little bit trickier, but. Um, That's awesome. I don't need to malign good managers. I have a good manager now. I, it's not like, oh, I could do what a manager does. That's yeah, not yeah. what I mean. <laughs> early on, you have to get creative about finding ways to get yourself seen. Because even if you have 
an agent or a manager a logo at the top of your resume. There's not much they can do until you're someone with enough sort of something, pull credits, training, something to make people want to call you in. Right. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, totally. There's it cats does. in the it background. Does. If you hear crazy stuff in the background, that's a cat. No, I, I have them too. Okay. So. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you a question about your experience in Hollywood as a woman. Mm. The Me Too movement has been really huge. Um, it's continuing. Um, you know, we're, we're still fighting the fight. And mm -hmm. was there anything in particular that you found challenging um, for yourself in the industry as a woman? Um, I never had anything happen to me in an audition context that would fall into that category. I had photographers, headshot photographers ask me to take off my clothes or try to get me to go on a date with them to release my negatives. Uh, oh God. <laughs> um, early on, <laughs> which I didn't, I, you know, I think, I think before now, I think when I was coming up, we just thought of it as an annoying inevitability. Like Amy Schumer does a thing, did a thing in one of her last stand-up sets where she was like, she was like, I love all these young women who were like, has this been happening to you guys this whole time? And we're all like, yeah. And they're like, don't you think you should do something about it? And we're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we probably should. <laughs> Not that we weren't trying, but, you know, the culture kind of shifted around us, I think. The biggest impact Me Too had on me was that I'm on a show called Better Things and have been for four seasons and there's more. And it's incredible. And the most female crew I've ever worked on and the most sort of female-centric cast and project and stories and characters and everything I've ever worked on, but it was co-created by Louis CK and probably our strongest episode of our strongest season aired the day after everything came out about him. And, and um, it was really like, it's hard to say it was really hard because like boohoo, I'm on a successful show that is still on the air. I don't mean that, you know, I'm a great victim of the Me Too movement, but I will say it was, um, there was a lot of fallout and, and people who didn't do anything wrong had to change a lot about their lives, got a lot of criticism and, and suggestions that they had done something wrong unfairly. And, and, um, you know, I think the show would have won a ton of a war. I, I feel weird even saying it. I feel yeah. like someone, you know, no, I think I, I, I think yeah. It, yeah. It, affected, it affected the trajectory of the show in a way that I think is unfortunate and unfair. And at the same time, I'm, I don't wish it hadn't happened. Obviously, what I wish, and when I talk to people about this, I say what I wish is that these things, these behaviors by these men had been addressed when they happened, that they hadn't been covered up, that they hadn't been, you know, the women who tried to talk about them at the time hadn't been shut down and threatened and intimidated because then you wouldn't have these serial predators. We would have dealt with it at the time and said, if you do this again, you don't get to work anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it is the, the sort of covering up and tolerating of it for so long that does most of the damage, honestly. And so what I hope is that we're in a place where we're not tolerating it anymore and that the first time not that they were tolerating it then but that it, it it's harder to sweep these things under the rug now I hope yeah well I, that, I mean I think we were to, I was tolerating it because I didn't yeah. know that there was an option to you know as you said I just looked at it as sort of an annoyance and 
um, you know, I, I think it was a different time for sure. In in terms of how we felt as women, we could handle it. Yeah, I think I, what I mean that I don't mean to cover up people who tried to come forward. Sure. I don't mean to say that they were tolerating it, but but you know, there were whisper networks. There were. Yeah. Um, I went to a party with a guy who was in a movie with Kevin Spacey, and at the party, people were like, "Don't be in a room alone with Kevin Spacey." That was how we managed it because yeah. no one people had tried to get it addressed and it didn't work. And it was like, okay, well then we're just going to tell each other how to protect each other. And that is obviously not an effective way to get something addressed. It's what people do when they don't feel like they they have any other recourse. So, so my hope is that we're in a place where we don't have to resort to that now and where things get taken seriously. And, and I've seen it happen. Um, so, so that's encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely making progress. So there, that's that's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As we as we reach the end of our time with you, I'd love to ask if there's if there's anything specific, uh, you know, one or two things that you know now that you wish you had known. You know, if you could talk to your younger self just starting out, is there anything specific you would say? Do this, don't do that. Um. You know, I wish I'd come to the realization earlier about just pursuing what I love instead of trying to fit into somebody else's paradigm because that was the biggest shift that happened for me, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think just just figuring out that it's my job to do the hustle, figure how, learning how much of it is my job on the business side how proactive to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I want to say that I feel like that's easier now because I, I feel like kind of the last generation who came up thinking that I could just be an actor and didn't have to like create my own content. And that's not like a muscle that I have. It's not an impulse that I have. And I think it's wonderful that now every person younger than me that I know has their own web series and is like producing their own whatever. And that's great because it's exactly what you said. You can teach people what you do well and how to cast you. And it presents its own challenges, obviously, because there's so many of them that then you have to fight to get it seen. But um, I think just that lesson of, of taking charge of your own career, not waiting for an agent or a manager to do it because they're not going to do it. You're the boss. Right. Uh, and it, it's your ship to steer. And um the sooner you can embrace that, I think the better off you'll be. Yeah. I love that. I love, I love that just clear cut. It's my job as an actor to get the work through the CD relation, through the casting director relationships. I mean, that's just a very clear kind of attitude mantra, you know, for an actor to embrace Mm -hmm. early on. I think that's, that's really great advice um, Mm -hmm. for, for an up and coming brand new actor. Um, can you, in closing, share with us um, an LAism? Not to put you on the spot, but we love to close with, um, since our our, sh- our podcast is as much about LA as acting. Yeah. Um, just something that you've noticed is unique to this great city of ours. Yeah, I don't know if it's totally unique. I feel like I, I'll get yelled at if I say that this is unique to LA, but. Um... I've been, especially in these last few months when we've been confined to our homes and Mm -hmm. not able to 
be doing lots of creative stuff outside. I've been cooking and baking my butt off. Mm-hmm. Um, and LA, we have the best local fresh ingredients. Like we have access to all the best food and any dietary weirdness restriction need <laughs> that you have to be accommodated here. Like for food people, I feel like LA doesn't have the food reputation it deserves. Um, and we're in summer, like my house is full of fresh fruit and berries. I'm baking all the time. I And and um, like for someone who needs a lot of creative outlets when we're not able to be working, I'm feeling very appreciative lately of the LA food bounty that we have here. It is so true. It is so, so true. I, Our I markets yeah. are open. You can yeah. get the food from the people who picked it. Like that's amazing. I know. I, I have to say, I think LA is the only place where you can go to a restaurant and you're expected to change the <laughs> order that you make. And I, I love that about LA. Yeah, everything like, is like, you can have gluten-free. We have all the alternative milks. We have, you know, pick your alternative flour. Like, I think people make fun of us, but it's amazing for people who need that and want that. And, um, and it really is. Love to cook with wacky stuff. We get to play. That's a great LAism. Just an abundance of every kind of food you could ever want <laughs> or need. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Perfect LAism. Um, well, thank you for being with us today. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you. It was really, it's fun to talk to people who understand what acting is about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind well, of, you know, have been there. Yeah. And it's fun to talk to actors who are actually working and, and hear you know, kind of what's been helpful. And so thank you for sharing all that. I know it'll help a lot of people. My pleasure. I hope so. (laughs) Thank you guys. Thanks so much for listening to Speak LA, the podcast. We want to be able to bring you more episodes like this one, but we can only do that with your support. So please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to Speak LA, the podcast. For more information on Speak LA, go to ispeakla.com. This episode of Speak LA, the podcast, was sponsored by Actors Connection. Actors Connection offers free resources, including valuable online programs. For more information, go to actorsconnection.com and sign up for their e-blast today. My name is Camille Thornton-Nelson. And I'm Jen Jostin. Our sound engineer is the very talented Dan Leonard of HomeVoiceOverStudio.com. And we are the founders of Speak LA. Find us at iSpeakLA.com.